hauling Just look at the load I'm hauling Hard work, I hit it harder Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer Sun up to sundown Backing up traffic all the way to town Camo hat and a farmer's tan Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Well, welcome to another episode of Fast Line Fast Track. It's great to have you with us. On this episode, we talk combines with Nathan Kramer from John Deere and off-farm income with Matt Breckwald. We also hear about carbon credit legislation from American Farm Bureau Federation President Zippy Duvall and about deadlines for the National Corn Growers Association's annual yield contest. Then we hear the music of Southbound 75. You won't want to miss a moment of this one. Let's go. Well, last week on the program, we talked combines, and this week we pick up that discussion again with the folks from John Deere, who last week introduced their new X-Series combines, as well as an entire new header lineup, including drapers, corn heads, and a belt pickup. Today, we have with us Nathan Kramer, the marketing manager for combines for front end equipment. And Nathan, welcome into Fastline Fast Track. Yeah, thanks, Brent. Glad to be here. Well, the new X-Series combines are here, and two new models, the X9-1000 and X9-1100, have been added to the 2021 lineup to help large-scale farmers thresh, separate, and clean more bushels per hour or harvest more per acre. And who doesn't want to do that? Both models are available on wheels or tracks. So, Nathan... These combines feature a wider feeder house, a dual separator, and the industry's largest cleaning shoe, all designed to work together to improve crop flow and increase harvesting capacity. Yeah, exactly right. You, you did a great job of, of really going through the uh, high-end high, high end features, the top-level features that, that really help us to meet customer needs. And, and some of those needs, especially for the large and extra-large customers that you talked about, that the X9 is designed for really has a need to just cover more ground per day, harvest more bushels per day, uh, and do so very efficiently. Uh, and, and we also know the harvesting window uh, isn't getting larger, so they need to do it on a very timely basis as well. So you know, that's, we're, we're just seeing this increase in, in daily demands uh, to, to get the, the, the crops out exactly when they need to be and in a very efficient way. And and the X9 um, is, is certainly delivering upon that. So when you talk about that efficiency, the X9 1100 can harvest up to 30 acres of tough, high-yielding wheat per hour and up to 7,200 bushels of high-yielding corn per hour. So that's uh, <laughs> some major throughput. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, that's uh, really haven't seen before levels of, of throughput uh, to, to really throw that out there. We're, we're really excited about it. And, and exactly when you said it, with that 30 acres per hour of high yielding, tough threshing. Uh, we have folks right now running uh, on, on the wheat run and, and we've seen a, a higher levels of that in, in a little bit lower yielding crops. So this thing is, is designed with the features that you talked about and really from, from the very beginning uh, or the front of the machine, uh, 23% wider pretty much all the way through, uh, significantly more threshing separating area uh, you know, a 36% larger cleaning shoe as well. So it's, it's really been designed to handle um, uh, high demands, high bushels, uh, and, and really get the crop out for our customers. A lot of these uh, large acre producers uh, have a lot of ground to cover, and fuel efficiency is another mark of the X-Series combines. 
Uh, they can run up to 14 hours without refueling using the new John Deere Powertech 13.6 liter engine with a robust belt drive system and an updated ProDrive XL transmission. Yeah, a- absolutely. And, and really, you, you talked about a, a few of the major components that, that goes into to the efficiency side of the story and upwards of a 20% fluid efficiency uh, over where we've ever been before, which is really exciting that we're not only bringing incremental capacity, but we're doing so in a very efficient way. And, and like you said, that 13.6 uh, liter, which is a brand new John Deere design engine uh, offered for, for very demanding agricultural-based applications, uh, really exciting. And, and every component, when, when we started developing this product, uh, was do- designed with the, the intent of, of, of taking power requirements out of it uh, and, and in, said in another way, add efficiency to each component level. Certainly the engine, the drive system you talked about, the residue, all the way down to the knives that we're chopping residue with is offering a more efficient uh, way uh, to ultimately harvest and, and handle uh, residue in that case. And, and that that's really what's led up to these incredible outcomes um, values that our, our customers are very much going to enjoy. We talked a lot about the mechanical side of the house. Let's talk a bit about the technological side of the house here because uh, these uh, combines also feature uh, integrated precision agriculture technology as well as three technology packages and all come with a JD Link as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and here again, this is something that uh, our, our customers are, are very much accustomed to. And, and that's the beauty of this. We're, we're building off a very strong foundation of our S-Series. Uh, and, and that machine has, has really led the way from, from a technology standpoint, you know, all the way from, from, of course, the guidance side of it that we're accustomed to, the data collection, data transfer with J.D. Link but also with embedded technologies like our, our combine advisor with those active vision cameras that really help our customers to set certain targets. And, and that combine is going to auto-maintain that all day long. So we're, we're carrying over all the technologies that we've had and, and continue to have in our S-Series. Uh, and, and we've built upon that with, with this new X-Series, uh, which is really exciting. Uh, a few things in addition, and, and you, you talked uh, about a few of those a little bit with the packaging approach, but from a technology standpoint, we're going to also offer an integrated Starfire receiver, and that's going to help our customers with, with daily startup time, taking uh, minutes off off the day, every day with startup, no need for additional calibrations, uh, improvement in accuracy levels, and, and so on and so forth there. And, and when I talk about minutes off the day, uh, minutes count uh, when when we're talking about a machine that that brings the capacity this does and and help us frame up this a little bit every two seconds in in high yielding corn we're harvesting or every second we're harvesting two bushels of crop so you know you think about five minutes ten minutes fifteen minutes faster you're talking significantly more bushels uh, that that this machine is harvesting in that amount of time and and that's where you know, all of these advancements uh, certainly add to the complete harvesting solution that, that we're going to offer to our customers. Well, and John Deere didn't stop there with the features. The new X-Series combines also have a restyled cab with more storage space, USB ports, and better connectivity. And there's also an optional touchscreen satellite radio that's smartphone ready. So if you want to be uh, uh, harvesting uh, whatever you're harvesting out there and listening to Fastline Fast Track as you go, uh, you can do that. 
Absolutely, and and we all know uh, that that our our operators spend a whole lot of time in in that environment. We really want to make sure they're they're comfortable, uh, and and they can go those 12, 14 hour days that we talked about to really get the most out of the machine and, and shorten the season as much as they can. And and the and the creature comforts that that you alluded to, you know, all the way ranging from a heated and cooled seat. We're, we're venting more uh, warm air when the, the season gets later and, and your feet get cold, corrected right at your feet. A massaging seat, uh, you know, that, that uh, satellite ready radio touchscreen, all, all the things that we're accustomed to and in our, in our vehicles that we drive down the road, we, we want to make sure our operators are, are comfortable and, and, and can be productive all day long. This new cab uh, that we're offering certainly has the right packages for them to be able to do that. And as we mentioned at the top of this interview here, at the same time John Deere introduced new combines, you also introduced a new lineup of headers, which includes drapers, corn heads, and belt pickup. What can you tell us about each of those? And we'll start out with the drapers. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and this is, is the key piece that adds to the ultimate harvesting solution. Uh, and, and to have that complete solution, certainly we need to start with the front end. And, uh, and, and with, the, with the combine that's bringing the capacity levels uh, that we've already talked about, we needed to make sure our, our front end components are, are doing the same uh, in, in giving our customers the results they're looking for, starting with uh, the, the drapers. And, and this is, is another area where we've expanded our portfolio, which is, which is great to talk about. And, and we've changed the naming a little bit too. So, so this is uh, something for customers to, to be aware of. Uh, so today we, we're offering an RDF model, and, and that's uh, real similar to what, what uh, they're aware of and, and have had great performance with, with our 700 FD uh, flex draper. Uh, but now that's our, our rigid uh, draper flex knife. Um, and, and so we've enhanced that further with a two-speed transmission, has uh, smart header controls on it. So it's allowing for even more in-the-cab integration uh, the ability to save calibrations, you know, again, quicker startup times, but, but it has really the base that our customers really appreciate and are accustomed to today. Now we expanded that with our all new hinged draper uh, lineup as well, which is really exciting. And this is going to help our, our customers uh, in, in a bit more rolling terrains, uh, dealing with terraces, berms, whatever that may be it's going to really allow them uh, to, to go straight across the field. And they're not going to have to worry about path planning because we have a head that uh, is certainly leading the way with, with total range. Uh, that's certainly going to allow our customers to handle, uh, you know, varying terrains and, and still have high cut quality uh, with our new Draper technology. Another key piece that goes along with our new hinge Draper is our grain saver belts, uh, industry exclusive there. Among, amongst many other things, but, uh, you know, all the way down to the belt design, we're really looking at it. How do we really get every single uh, uh, kernel uh, or bit of grain that we possibly can and, and get it through the machine? So we're really excited uh, to present and, and launch this, this new portion of our already uh, robust straight lineup. So now we move on to the corn heads. You've uh, uh, introduced some new rigid and folding corn heads that you want to talk about as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and here again, we've been able to build off of, of a really strong base. Um, and, and that base uh, is, is just that, that historic John Deere cornhead with the Romax row units. Uh, you know, customers have seen a, a lot of value there. Uh, really uh, has the maintenance, durability, 
in performance our customers look are looking for. But as you talked about, uh, we've expanded our lineup of both our, our rigid frames, but also uh, to, to accommodate the, the growing trend towards more folding corn heads, we've expanded that as well. And, and we're going to be able to offer our, our customers in the folding configurations, the, the 12 and, and several uh, uh, row spacing, and then, and then also our uh, 16 uh, as well. So really exciting being able to put some of these large heads, 18 heads, uh, row heads in there too, just to really make sure that based on, on, on row widths, um, yield responses, uh, you know, that, that our, our different customers are, are, are able to grow in that they have the right front end piece that's going to match either their S series combine or the new X nine series of combines as well. Well, and the final exciting thing we want to talk about is the BP-15 belt pickup for small grains and oilseed growers who need to harvest more acres per hour uh, with an X-Series, also the S-Series and T-Series combines. Yeah, a- absolutely, and, and uh, our belt pickup. And, and we've, we've offered a, a great belt pickup for, for many years, but again, uh, to have that complete harvesting solution, we, we needed to, to enhance it further, and, and, and it's going to allow for greater ground speed. Uh, we, we've changed the gear sets or the ability to change it based on, on the yields again uh, and the performance our customers are looking for. We, we have uh, some grain uh, shields as well to ensure uh, the grain is staying on the belt and going through, through the combine. So we've, we've really looked at this. We've added that smart header technology as well to where uh, the calibrations are, are set and, and, and we have the ability to control the heads even, even more detailed. Uh, from directly in the cab on the go, uh, so that uptime and performance uh, throughout our entire portfolio is is, is key adds uh, to the enhanced uh, front end portfolio that uh, that we have to offer to our customers. Well, Nathan, it sounds like John Deere has thought about just about everything for these new product rollouts. And if folks want to learn more about them, let's remind them where they can go. Yeah, absolutely, and and of course, uh, all of this information plus much more is on Deere.com. Yeah, and, and go to your local dealers, as, uh, John Deere dealer as well. Uh, we've, we've enjoyed, uh, you know, the last few days interacting with our dealers and forming our dealers, uh, and, and, and we'll continue to work through that. But we're real excited. So, again, uh, go out to deer.com, go and local, uh, visit your local John Deere dealer. They'll provide you the information, but they'll also provide you the, the service and support that you've uh, grown to know. A world-class channel out there, and we're really excited uh, to, to have them share more information with you. Well, these are exciting rollouts, and Nathan, we really appreciate you taking the time to uh, stop by Fastline Fast Track and break these down for us. Um, definitely my pleasure. Um, appreciate you taking the time, Brent. Thank you, everyone out there listening. Really appreciate your business. Have a, a great, safe, and, and uh, productive uh, harvest season. And that was Nathan Kramer with John Deere. Well, next up this week on Fastline Fast Track, farm groups, growers, and others strongly backed bipartisan carbon credit legislation at a congressional hearing on Wednesday. Carbon credit markets have been tried before, but with mixed success. But the COVID-19 crisis and trade wars cratering of farm income are driving new efforts in Congress to have USDA reduce market barriers to farmers. American Farm Bureau Federation President Zippy Duvall told the Senate Agriculture Committee producers through conservation have captured vastly more carbon than they produce and welcome new incentives. Farm Bureau's grassroots develop, policy development supports by, uh, market-based incentives and compensation for farmers for planting crops and adopting farming practices that keep carbon in the soil. 
That is why we welcome opportunities to participate in emerging carbon markets. The Growing Climate Solution Act would create a, a certified program at USDA to help solve technical barriers to farmers. Duvall says the Senate bill creates a USDA advisory council and gives farmers more clarity and guidance for using carbon markets. National Farmers Union President Rob LaRue says the union and North Dakota Farmers Union ran a national program on the Chicago Climate Exchange from 2006 to 2010 that paid producers more than $7.4 million. Unfortunately, in 2010, the Chicago Climate Exchange folded. But corporate, consumer, and farmer interest in the concept remains. The government must encourage these activities while ensuring adequate protection for farmers. LaRue says also the government must protect from bad actors and faulty markets while recommending carbon tax credits and a USDA carbon bank to stabilize a new program and allowing credits for ethanol fuel blends. Jason Weller with Trutera, the sustainability arm of Lando Lakes, says practices, systems, and machinery will also be key. For example, one of our producers in Pennsylvania on Rheinfeld Farms, they've installed and are operating a very significant methane digester. And this digester is beyond just handling the manure on their operation. It's also taking in the food waste from up to 15 other grocery stores in the surrounding communities. And this digester is ultimately generating significant energy. So over the course of a year, it's generating equivalent to 1.5 million kilowatt hours of electricity, which is enough to power 100 homes. Weller says Trutera and Lando Lakes are on the cusp of a revolution in precision conservation made possible by data, machine learning, artificial intelligence, USDA practice standards, technology, and modeling. Expanded broadband will be key to getting all that to producers, and Weller's working with the American Farm Bureau Federation in Duval, who adds that clear rules for a new climate program will also help where other efforts have failed. Well, we're going to try to bring President Duvall on here in the next few weeks to talk about this and other issues as we look forward to the second half of 2020, so stay tuned for that. Well, next up, corn growers can save on their National Corn Yield Contest entry by signing up for the contest before June 30th. The contest by the National Corn Growers Association helps foster innovation and yield growth across the country. Linda Lambert, the NCGA National Corn Yield Contest Manager, says the contest has grown over the years. The National Corn Yield Contest has been around since 1965, so we're in our 56th year of the contest. And it originated with four states and 20 entries, and now we're nationwide with 75-plus entries every year. Lambert says participation is strong in the program as it provides many benefits to the corn industry beyond the growers. It's a compilation of NCGA and all the growers, seed companies, equipment manufacturers, chemical manufacturers, and all our fabulous volunteer supervisors. And they're all out trying to compete, often at no cost to the grower because we have so many seed companies now in our voucher program that will cover the cost of the growers. They can try new practices on just a 10-acre plot to see what the potential is to increase their yield and have greater efficiency and greater profitability. Recent years have brought large national corn crops. Lambert says that that makes the contest more relevant than ever for growers to participate in. As we're trying to maintain the sustainability of the land, the new practices, the new applications, the new chemicals, the new hybrids, all the new products that are available through the contest for the 10-acre plot will advance the grower forward. 
And change is the constant in life. So I think to positively influence the change is a great position for us to be in, in support of the contest and the growers. The contest helps support NCGA and gives farmers a chance to try new things on their farm. It is a great membership driver for our organization. And the seed companies and even the chemical companies and equipment manufacturers, their benefit is as a marketing tool. We do publish all these variables at the end of the contest year. So if you want to do a comparison on your operation and you have like operations, maybe you can incorporate something that somebody else has used for your area. So take note, growers can enter the contest for $75 before June 30th. Lambert says after that date, the entry fee increases to $110. Growers can participate in the contest by logging onto our website, www.ncga.com, and clicking on the corn yield contest. We'd like you to enter by June 30th. If not, July 1st through August 15th is the final deadline date. Again, find out more information and enter the contest online at www.ncga.com. And on an upcoming episode, we'll talk with someone who knows a thing or two about corn growing competitions, Seth Wood, the creator of the television reality show Corn Warriors. So make sure you come back for that. And now we want to welcome into the program Matt Breckwald, who is the creator and host of the Off Farm Income podcast and an agricultural entrepreneurship coach with a specific emphasis on small agricultural service businesses. He and his wife Autumn own a small agricultural business and operate a 25 acre farm in Cuna, Idaho. Matt, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Hey, thanks for having me on. Well, this is a guy who's been doing it for a long time now. As of this taping, 861 episodes of your podcast. Yeah, just of off-farm income. I'm well well over 1,000 now if you put everything together, which has been really cool. That is incredible. Tell me a bit about the journey that got you to this point and how you became interested in agricultural entrepreneurship. Yeah, you know, uh, I went off. So I grew up in a small farming town in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just basically dairy and rice was all we had when I was a kid, a few orchards. And, uh, I kind of grew an interest in cattle, uh, during high school, my mom had remarried and, uh, my stepdad and his dad had cattle and I grew an interest in that. So I went off to college. I got a degree in agriculture, did a bunch of internships, worked in all different aspects of ag. And, uh, really I just could not find my place in agriculture right then. And so I ended up following another interest, I became a police officer. And I did that for about 15 years. And um, during that time, uh, you know, about probably 10 years into that career, uh, my wife and I, we had always intended to buy our own place and have our own cattle. And we hadn't done that. We weren't anywhere close to that. And then we had a daughter and we were like, we want to raise her the way we were raised. And we started looking pretty seriously. And uh, in 2011, we bought our small farm here in CUNA uh, in Idaho, just outside of Boise, Idaho. And uh, we moved out here and I just kinda, I just grew uh, to where I wanted to stay out here. I did not want to be going back into the city for 40 hours a week and doing all the city stuff and my city police job and, and all of that. And so I'd always had an interest in starting my own business. And so I finally started one, uh, which was uh, go for extermination exterminating pocket gophers for farmers out here in the West. And uh, that went really well. And pretty soon I was working seven days a week and I needed to make a choice. So I gave up the law enforcement career and became a full-time entrepreneur in agriculture, full-time farmer and kind of returned, kind of came back to agriculture 
And that was inspirational to me. Uh, I was kind of overwhelmed and just and really happy with what I'd been able to do. And I decided to make a podcast about it to try and help other people use small business uh, opportunities that were available in agriculture to help them kind of do the same thing that I had done. Because I knew there were other people out there who were frustrated and they were trying to find their way out to the farm or their way out to a rural community. And I wanted to help. What year did you do the first podcast? Uh, 2014. So this December will be six years. Wow. So, so when you started out and, and you were just getting your feet wet as an entrepreneur, what were some of the tough lessons you had to learn along the way? Well, I think the, the toughest lesson for me as an entrepreneur is to charge enough. Uh, I have a tendency to want to undercharge, yeah. both to be, uh, to, be, to be gracious to my customer and also to not, uh, to not be greedy, which is a misnomer. Um, but I came out of public service. I'd, I'd worked for the public for 15 years, actually a little bit more than that, about 16 years. And we didn't charge people for our services. We provided a service. And I, I, I'd kind of fallen prey to some of those stereotypes about entrepreneurs that they're all money hungry or something like that, which is not true. They're providing really good and needed services to people out there in the community and they're looking for a lifestyle. They're independent. And I'm definitely an independent and creative person. And I wanted that lifestyle. But just kind of not being from that world and uh, falling prey to that a little bit, when I would go to charge somebody what I thought was an appropriate amount, I would be really hesitant. I would have what we call imposter syndrome and be like, you know, why am I, why should I be able to charge that much? But ultimately, that great service that I was providing, if I didn't charge enough, my business would be unsustainable. It would go away. That service would also go away. So I kind of had to get over that, Brent. Yeah. Well, I wish the grocery stores and the utility companies felt that way. <laughs> but no, that's a, that, that's an important point. And I've been there myself too. And I, I understand it, it, it's, it's a hard ask at first, but uh, yeah. when, you, when you realize why it's important to set that bar there, it's, uh, uh, it's very important. So this day and age, you know, with, with the rising costs of, of farming and mm -hmm. uh, everything that you've got going on here, uh, you know, prices being lower, uh, a lot of people are, are looking for ways to supplement income. I know a lot of people through COVID, you know, maybe had a spouse who was working off farm that, that lost a job or maybe uh, a farmer lost a, a job or a second job. And they're looking to, to supplement income. Before mm -hmm. they go down that path, what are some of the things that they should think about? Well, I think a couple of things they should think about is what can they do? So people who farm inherently have a couple of things going for them that people who are in town or in the city may not. Uh, one is they've got equipment uh, that can be used to provide a service for other people and equipment that largely sits idle. You know, it, they get done with it and they don't need it anymore for the rest of the season or until harvest or something like that. It's just sitting there. Um, so they've got equipment. Uh, farmers have a can do attitude and a problem solving attitude, which is I can get this done and I can fix this problem. Even if there's no known solution, you know, they, they have that attitude. And so I think what they need to think about is they need to assess their skill set and all those skill sets, not just, well, I've done this before, you know, I've, I've, worked uh you know i've run a tractor before something like that no what about your ability to solve problems your ability to be innovative your ability to see creative solutions all of that is a plus to people and then they need to start looking in the communities that they're close to so if they're farming on what i call the rural 
urban interface, they're close to an urban area, man, there's going to be a lot of people in that urban area who just want to do their 40 hours a week in a cubicle and they don't want to mess with the stuff that needs to get done outside or around the house on the weekends. That's an opportunity for somebody with a skill set and an attitude like, I can get this done. I can fix this problem. If they're further out, if they're not close to those urban areas, then they got to be looking at their potential marketplace and going, well, what services can I provide to other farmers? Maybe some of the larger farmers who would look at this particular task and go, I don't have time to do this task. I need to, you know, I need to delegate this off to a, a subcontractor or something like that. What services could they provide? Could they buy a piece of equipment that would serve the people out in their community? So I think they need to take a real inventory of who is around them and who they can serve. And then how can, how can they serve those people best? Mm-hmm. I know another uh, consideration when you're getting into it, uh, it, if you are going the entrepreneurial route, is financing. Um, mm-hmm. What were some of the things you had to to learn along the way? Uh, you, you know, in terms of uh, making sure you you had enough capital to be able to do what you wanted to do, and uh, then you were going to be able to pay that back when you needed to. You know, honestly, I didn't borrow any money for my business. Okay, I was able to cash flow my business. Mm-hmm. Um, I bought one piece of equipment um, that grew into a business that replaced my full-time income that I was making as a police officer. Um, now, I, already, I, I say I bought one piece of equipment. I already had an eighth. So I bought a machine that exterminates pocket gophers when I first started. Um, I needed to tow that around with something. I already had an ATV. I already had a pickup. So I had to go buy a flatbed trailer to load this piece of equipment and the ATV onto. So I bought the trailer and I bought the piece of equipment and I went to work mm-hmm. and I was able to do that all for about $12,000, which I had in savings. So I actually did not finance anything. And over those 860 some odd episodes of off farm income, we've talked about, man, I've interviewed some people that went out and financed uh, pieces of equipment to go make a living. Um, and that's fine. That's, it's a valid way of doing it. But I've interviewed people who've gone out with 500 bucks and they've started a business that replaced their full-time income because they found a need and a way to do it. And they let that business build upon itself. They bootstrapped it up and they put that money back into it. They improved their equipment and things like that. So it really depends on what you're going to do. Um, but honestly, I don't have any experience with financing a business because I didn't do it that way. So Part of your uh, deal is, is being an entrepreneurship coach. Tell me a bit about the services that you offer. Well, I think for, I try to coach people who are just a few steps behind me on the same path. And so when I came into it, I needed to read a lot of books. I needed to listen to a lot of podcasts. I needed to listen to a lot of books on tape to give me the confidence to go out and to work for myself because I'm a very conservative person when it comes to risk. And, um, and you know, if you, if you listen to popular culture, what you hear about entrepreneurs is they're in it for the money and they're just these reckless born into an entrepreneur people who will take any risk. They'll go bankrupt five or six times and they'll finally make it. And that, that just wasn't for me. I had a house, I had a retirement, you know, 401k. I had all that type of stuff going into this. And I'm like, look, I want this lifestyle, but I'm not going to lose all of that in order to achieve this. So how can I do this safely? And I had to go out and I had to listen to a lot of people where I finally went, oh, there's another group of entrepreneurs over here who aren't like that, who really mitigate their risk and they take very, very calculated risks and their chances of success are a lot higher than this like type A type of entrepreneur. 
And once I learned that, then all of a sudden I realized, oh, there's a way I can do this where a guy like me, who's not a huge risk taker, can make the leap and start a business. And then I found out that people who are like me, who are not really just, you know, who are risk averse, who are really, really calculated about the risks they take, they make great entrepreneurs. Because the only obstacle we have to overcome is taking a risk. Once we take that risk, we're really good with our money, we're really good with running our businesses, we're really good with planning, with forecasting and being conservative and how quickly we build our businesses, we kind of don't get over our skis and we build successful businesses. And so that's where I'm trying to help people as a coach is help them get over that hump and go, look, I know you're worried about the risk, but here's how it can be done and you can be successful. I've walked this path ahead of you and let me show you the way down the path. And that's what I try to do. So a takeaway for entrepreneurs or, or want to be entrepreneurs, if at all you feel like you, you've got that uh, uh, bug or that uh, you, you've got something you might be able to do, give me two or three things that I should think of right off the top of, off the top of your head that, that uh, will, will put me on the path to success. Well, I think the one thing, the consistent thing, the successful entrepreneurs that I've interviewed viewed on my show has been over and over and over again is bootstrapping. Mm -hmm. um, and what you don't want to do because it's, it's a very exciting moment when you start a business is all of a sudden you've kind of been given permission to go spend all this money to buy cool stuff, but don't give in to that temptation. Buy used stuff, use stuff you already have, build that business and prove that concept before you start sinking money into that business. And then another takeaway for people is you come up with a good product, you come up with a good concept, you come up with a good service and you get it started, you're about 10% of the way done. The other 90% of this is marketing, getting out there and letting people know that your, your business exists and existing in that space. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's not always the person with the most talent or the best equipment who wins and succeeds and has a business that's there 10 years from now. It's about the person who is good at what they do and they're going to satisfy their customers, but they really market their business as well. And that's, I think, a really key takeaway is you got to learn about marketing and you've got to get comfortable with talking about yourself and talking to other people, doing that sales role. What about time commitments? Because, uh, I mean, it becomes you when you have to uh, run a business on your own. So I tell everybody, um, you got to have a balance. Um, and any entrepreneurship, you listen, any entrepreneurship books or podcasts you listen to, they're going to talk about this work-life balance. And yes, I agree there needs to be work-life balance, but there's a season for everything. And when you're starting a business, I don't suggest people leave their full-time job until they've proven the concept and they're generating X amount of revenue from the new business. At that point, I say, okay, go ahead and leave it and chase this thing and chase this new lifestyle. But that, that implies that there's going to be a period of time where you're still going to be working your 40 hour a week job and your business is going to be growing and becoming much more demanding. I call that the crazy time. You've got to explain to your family, to your loved ones, to the people who depend upon you that, hey, I've got this dream and I want to transition from being this full-time employee to being a full-time employed by myself person. And that means for a period of time, I'm not going to be around very much because it's going to be nuts because every free moment I'm going to have is going to be devoted to building the website, providing the service, marketing the business, 
doing sales, calling people, doing the administrative work. Because when you're first starting out, you're gonna do everything yourself if you're in this small, small entrepreneurial space. And so you just have to accept there's gonna be a period of time that's gonna be nuts. And your goal is to get through that period of time, leave the full-time job, and then be a full-time entrepreneur, and then things kind of come back down to normal. Well, I tell you what, man, this is all really, really helpful stuff. It's got me motivated to want to go start a business here after hearing all that. So if uh, folks want to know more about uh, the services you offer, and also if they want to hear the Off Farm Income podcast, where do they go? Uh, They go to offincome.com, so OFFincome.com. Mm-hmm. We should also say that uh, uh, the podcast can be found at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and uh, he also contributes to FFA Today, which is on Rural Radio on Sirius XM Channel 147. And Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track. Man, I've, uh, I've had this one in mind for some time, and I'm glad we were finally able to make it happen. Thank you, Brent. I really appreciate it, and I would be remiss if I did not throw in the Corn Revolution podcast there, too. There you go. Make sure you go check that out. Where, where do they find that one? Uh, that one's Spotify, all the usual places, uh, Apple Podcasts, and at cornrevolution.com. Cornrevolution.com. So go check it out. Uh, everything this guy does is top-notch. So so make sure you go go follow Matt and, uh, and get educated. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, we'd love to bring you new artists. And this week we have one I'm extremely excited about, the band Southbound 75. They're out of Tampa, Florida, and have been named a top emerging country act on Reverb Nation. They have a new album in the works with producer Bill McDermott. We'll talk about it here in a bit. And I'm here today with Mark Lorenzo, who's the lead singer and songwriter for the group. And Mark, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Hey, thanks for having me. Man, I appreciate you taking the time to join us here today. You've got some big things going on here with this uh, group you guys have formed. Uh, First of all, tell me a bit about how the group came together. Well, you know, it's kind of funny. It took a little while to get going. Um, I was was writing some songs and... and, uh, uh, I was working with a producer in Cincinnati, and we were putting the songs together. And so, uh, by the time I got all the songs done, I figured I would have a band together. But all I had was a drummer, Greg Jacoby, and we were auditioning people here in Tampa for a while. And and it was tough; we just couldn't find the right guys. And uh, we'd have people in and out, and and um, nobody want, really wanted to like learn the originals and, and put a show together. It was a, kind of like a different mindset. Like everybody was like, "All right, I know the songs. Let's go play." You know, <laughs> like. That's not how I am. I'm like, let's let's get these right. Let's put a show together, you know, and get this thing together. And and uh, I know Greg was getting frustrated at me. He's like, what are we waiting for? Let's just start playing. But um, but after a while, we just kind of realized, uh, you know, maybe we just kind of go to the people we know and we we like. And so uh, talked to our friend Kevin, who we both knew. And I'm like, hey, you got a guitar, right? He's like, yeah. I go, hey, come on, come on over to Greg's tonight. And so that's basically how we've kind of put the band together. Like, it's all our friends. And, and so once we kind of all got in one room and started playing, um, I don't know, like the universe has kind of taken over, and we've been busy ever since. So. And uh, he's being a little bit modest when he says this here because these aren't just a bunch of uh, uh, your average players here. When they come together, they make some pretty incredible music here. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun. And, and it's and it's nice, you know, with the guys. Cause we get out, you know, as much as we're together playing or, or practicing, like we get a get together, you know, and and just kind of hang out too. So that's kind of fun. Tell me a bit about who the other guys in the group are. So uh, the drummer is Greg Jacoby, um, and he's played around and, and toured forever. Um, Kevin Doris is the guitar player that I have acquired. I told him, basically told him he was in the band. 
Um, Vance Eskison is the bass player, and he is originally from Colorado, but just like Florida, uh, everybody in Florida, you know, you just kind of end up here. No one's really from Florida. So uh, he moved here, and he's been in all kinds of touring bands, and, and he's phenomenal. And uh, Angel Janji is our uh, a guitarist. And um, he's, he's uh, during this quarantine, like, he's just been locked up in a room practicing. So he's gotten incredible. So uh, he's got all the country riffs down in the last couple of months. So it's worked out for him. So how did you guys arrive on the name Southbound 75? Well, it was kind of funny because when we were starting the band, the, the members we had um, were all basically living off of I-75. And so I'm originally from Toledo, Um my other friend who was um, playing at the time was from Dayton, and our guitarist was from um, Detroit. And obviously we were down in Tampa, and, and literally it's all <laughs> right off I-75. And so uh, we, it was kind of like an obvious thing, like Southbound 75. And so uh, we kind of did a little search, and, and it's all worked out. And so that's, uh, that's kind of how it came out. Well, and you push down about as far as you can go down that way, and it seems to be working out for you guys. Yeah, yeah, so far so good. And, I mean, the, the logo was easy. So it's just a, <laughs> a highway marker. That's done. <laughs> so what's it been like actually creating music with these guys and getting in the studio with them? You know, it, it, it's been a lot of fun. And, and, I, and I know I wear them out because I like trying new things and, and stuff. And, um, you know, it's taken us a little while to get the, the record done because of one of the quarantine stuff. But, um, but I write songs pretty fast. And so we've had um, what I thought was the, the record done, you know, 10 songs. And then, we, then it got uh, stretched out a little bit because we couldn't make it to the studio. Then I'd come up with another two or three songs, and then another song would come up. And um, But it, it's been great. Like, we just keep playing. And I think what's come up is we've got, we got plenty of songs to choose from. So this record's going to be, a, I mean, I, I keep saying it's like a greatest hits, but it's been nice because we can we can kind of play them out and see how they go over and and adjust them a little bit, fix things here and there, and uh, before we kind of record them and, and, and lock them down. So um, it's been great, and, and their guys are flexible, and, and we kind of come up with all, you know, they kind of continue with their ideas and, and uh, their own personal styles and stuff. So that's kind of how all the songs have come out. So. When I tell you what, you're working with a home run hitter and producer Bill McDermott out of Nashville, does a lot of his stuff out of Omni Sound Studios. Uh, he's worked with Tim McGraw and Brad Paisley and George Strait and Vince Gill, among others. Even uh, yeah. some people outside of that realm, like Charlie Puth. And uh, right. I have to say, it, when you listen to uh, the start of Fast Line, Fast Track, the Working Man song by Dustin Collins, he also produced that song and brought in some of the top session players in Nashville. So everything this guy touches is just so special. What's it been like to work with Bill? You know, it's it, it's great, and 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 I, and I I really love working with Bill, and and Bill's one of those guys that really doesn't change the essence of what it, what you have, and and some producers will really get in there and just change stuff, and they they kind of form a, form it into their own kind of style. But Bill's been great with like this is what you guys are. This is let's just make the, make it the best of what that is, and and you know I always think a, a great producer kind of gets you out of the the. the the problem. So, like, you'll you, if you don't know what to do in a part or something's just not working, you know, the, a great producer kind of says, "All right, well, let's do this or let's fix this," and, and the rest is kind of just left, left up to the artist. And and that's kind of how it's been. And he he comes up with some great ideas when we're stuck. And and everything we've done so far, um, we've gotten you know six done so far. We're going back up 
in a couple of weeks to do another four and finish everything up, but it's it's just come out better than we, we ever expected. So we're really happy. So describe the style uh, of the album for us a bit and, and your sound in general. Yeah, so when, when we were talking to Bill about what we were looking for, you know, I just I just like telling stories. That's what, what I love about country music. Um, so I wasn't really caught up on what the, the, the sound of the band was going to be if it was more traditional country or more alt country just as long as it just didn't get away get in the way of telling the stories and and ultimately what what kind of came out was like a, a a new sound a new alt country-ish thing but it still got those the um the touch of the classic country stuff which which really tells a story but but it's entertaining and it has the melodies and and the kind of the little easter egg things here and there that it's fun to listen to well before we go any further let's listen to one from southbound 75 this is the band's current single not ready to say i'm sorry yet now what you want to make is a cell phone full of pissed off memories now what you want to make are some old painted magnets saying where we're banned Slam the door, I wish you well But don't come back again Cause now What you want to make Is a big black hole where my heart used to be My bed so cold So I know I need you here I blame myself For the hell I put you through I know, I know What you said is true but Sorry, yeah. 
understand outside of the country realm that uh, uh, in checking out some of your bio information, see that there's uh, touches there with uh, a throwback to Bill Skull and Clive Davis. Yeah, yeah, like Bill, like technically got it all all started for me, and I know a lot of people remember Bill, and and uh, he's the one that that called me up and said, "Hey, this song, Little Breakdown, which is going to be on this CD, ironically enough, um, is it, it's it's a hit. I love this song, and and so." Um, I owe a lot to, to Bill, actually. So he's been a huge great. That's excellent. I also understand you, you uh, like me, are a fan outside of country of uh, the artist Prince and that uh, you had a, uh, a brush with him as well. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where the universe just kind of pushes you, uh, you know, the, here and there. And, and I've had, like, little things pop up with Prince, and I've, I've always been a fan of Prince just either way, does it, you know, with his music. I've always loved it. And, and the first thing that kind of what happened was when I was doing a, a record years ago, um, we did it in Sunset Sound, and I was actually in the studio that Prince did his records in. And it was, you know, to be at the board that he used and in the studio was like a, you know, one, an awesome experience. And then uh, I got to meet him backstage when he did a show in Cincinnati, and he was talking about how artists need to, you know, Save their save their kingdom, you know. Like, don't sell out to the big record labels like he did. And you need to take care of yourself and plan for your future. And I mean, it was, I mean, to have a conversation with Prince, and it, it wasn't just me; it was him, you know, him backstage with probably thirty people. But just just an amazing experience. And then ultimately, I ended up working with the production company that he used for two years or for two tours, and. Uh, Mike Stuckey was his uh, production manager, and he became one of my best friends. And, and the stories that I got from him and working with Prince was just um, unbelievable. So it's just been kind of like a, a Prince, uh, you know, walk in the park, <laughs> walk in Paisley Park. That's awesome. Prince. That's awesome. And you yeah. talk about that that advice about uh, uh, kind of keeping your business affairs tight and yeah. watching who you let into that circle. It seems like as you've kind of put everything together and gotten things on track with, with, with this project that uh, you, you've really taken that to heart. Yeah, and, and you know, it's it, it, after listening to Prince talk about stuff, and it was interesting because we were, we were in a group with a bunch of program directors and radio people and, and uh, industry people, and I was there as an artist. There's a couple other artists there, you know, and I, I kind of made made a point that I said, look, you know, if, if just to back Prince up, because <laughs> because of course that's what you do, <laughs> you back Prince up, and you say, you know, you say, uh, you know, if you want, if you hire local artists, because that was the point that he was, hey, look, each station should hire local artists and play local artists because that's what gives each city its own sound. That's why you know that's otherwise you'll have every city sounding like each other. And I said, look, it's true. If you if you get local artists uh, on the air, they're they're as an artist, we'll do anything. If you need us for shows or or events, we're we're there. It's, we'd love to do that kind of stuff. And and then he asked me. He said, well, he says, are you any good? And I said, well, I think I'm pretty good. He goes, well, do you believe the cream's going to rise at the top? And I said, I do. He goes, well, then you'll have no problem. Yeah. So when Prince tells you that, I mean that's. You know, where to live by. Yeah. Uh, I, I see, uh, you know, a lot of this sound here uh, that, that you guys have seems to kind of fall in line with some of that old school. Uh, and you hate to put it into a box or, or label it, but, uh, yeah. uh, you know, some of the old school, uh, not just country, but but Southern rock, you know, you know influences of uh, Almond Brothers or, or, or Leonard Skinner or, or some of those bands as well. Is that a, is that a fair 
assessment? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't kind of uh, judge the assessments. It's everybody's, yeah. um, you know, background is, is kind of what you judge by. And, and as long as you like it, I mean, that's fine. I, I, you know, I kind of write songs, and, and I think we picked the songs for the, for the record that uh, make the best show live, mm-hmm. you know, um, because, you know, I don't like, you know, I don't want to play five slow songs yeah. <laughs> live. You know, it's much more fun to play some up, up-tempo songs and, and party songs. So that's kind of what we've evolved into. And uh, so that's what the, the record's going to be, is, is, a, is a lot of fun fun music. And, and if, it's, you know, if it reminds you of the Allman Brothers, if it reminds you of, uh, you know, whoever, yeah. that, that's cool with me as long as you like it. Well, that kind of segues me into my next question, which is uh, you, you guys are trying to really get this thing off the ground at, at a time when everything has kind of ground to a halt. And, uh, man, how much are you chomping at the bit to, to get back out there and be able to get on stage and, and showcase some of this music and, and really start moving forward? Yeah, we really are. And, it, you know, it's, it's, the board has opened up a little bit. We've, we've played actually two shows, and we did a streaming show on a big stage uh, a couple weeks ago. So it's slowly coming back. Um, but, yeah, like we're, we're really excited to play the originals and get back and, and you know, do some opening sh- slots and, and, and play our original stuff but you know as long as we're playing it's 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 all good and it, it kind of gives us some more time to to fine-tune the songs and, and get our show together which you know it's good as long as we're playing and doing a little bit i think we're okay for now but yeah quickly coming the time that we need to start playing <laughs> start uh, playing well how about we hear one more from 75 southbound this is daddy's liquor cab hey y'all stay out of there on fast line fast track
So uh, just for the benefit of the listeners, what kind of timetable are we looking at for, for an album? And uh, uh, how can folks find out more about you guys? Well, we, you know, we're really excited because we just signed with Bill uh, McDermott's label, Roxy Entertainment. And so um, earlier we, are, we were hoping to get the record out by August. And that still may happen, but um, depends on, obviously, everything, you know, going smoothly from here on out with, with, uh, with everything in the world today. Um, but it'll be out by the fall for sure. So but we'll keep everybody updated on our website. Our, our website is southbound75.com. Well, excellent. Make sure you guys go check that out so you can stay abreast of all the tour dates and everything going on. And uh, find these guys on social media and, and get out there and, and support them and, and share those uh, pages and links and everything just to uh, kind of spread the word about uh, the work being done by Southbound 75. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, i tell you what, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time here to join us on Fast Line Fast Track. And we wish you the best of luck as things uh, start to build for you. And we hope you guys will come back and, and share more of that music anytime. Absolutely. We appreciate it. We will do that. Well, let's close things out this week with one more from Southbound 75. This is Missing Carolina on Fast Line Fast Track.
And that was the music of Southbound 75. You can keep tabs on them at southbound75.com. And if you're in the market for a new tractor, sprayer, or combine, or perhaps a hay rake or baler, now it's time to head on over to fastline.com. Check out the equipment locator with the price comparison tool featuring the iron average powered by iron solutions. That's fastline.com. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe to the print catalog for your state or region. There's no need to head into town to pick one up off the convenience store rack. The Fastline catalog is still being delivered directly to your mailbox. And if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Fastline Fast Track podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Also, be sure to like Fastline Fast Track on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube, and add our Spotify playlist to your library for music from past, current, and upcoming guests of the show. We'll be sure to come back next week to hear more from agriculture industry newsmakers, and we'll bring you the music of rising country star Allie Colleen. Until next time, it's Brent Adams saying y'all come back and bring along a friend. You've been listening to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group. To learn more about Fast Line's customer-focused marketing solutions, visit FastLineMediaGroup.com and check out our brand websites, FastLine.com, BigAg.com, and PinkTractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at Brent.Adams at FastLine.com. 